When Karen does come back, please thank her for her playing. <laughs> Noah, that was fine, but <laughs> we really enjoy those with that talent. You know, it's only about 11 days till our nation's Thanksgiving, so I don't think it's too unusual if I kind of jump the gun and talk about Thanksgiving. I think there's already been a lot of jumping the gun. Black Friday, yes! And we've gone for the whole month ahead, you know, of Black Friday. Um, all types of other preparations have been made available. In Philly, we have advertisements for our 6ABC Duncan Thanksgiving Day Parade, you know? And then there are the football games and all of the food prep and the gatherings usually with family and friends and such. There'll be pageants, children dressed as indigenous peoples. We normally call those Indians. Or pilgrims for the others dressed and not pilgrims that are from Maryland necessarily. Um, here in this church, tradition has your testimony time and that's just what you do. It's just kind of a thing that we flow along with. There's often discussion made about the occasion where it became our nation's official holiday. And I go back to 1789 when our first president, George Washington, said the following, and this is only a portion of it. He says, by the president of the United States, a proclamation, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. And where is, both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. And then later on it says, now therefore I do recommend and assign Thursday the 26th day of November next to be devoted by the people of these United States to the service of the great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all that is good, that was, is, and that will be. How refreshing. You know, and Congress, <laughs> both houses of Congress asked the president to write this, you know. And so there had to be a feeling amongst not only those representatives, but amongst the people that this was the right thing to do. It was to be a time when our nation's leadership saw a necessity to confess, giving an openness of thanksgiving to God for grateful hearts for the favors that he has shown. And it's right. It's necessary. It should accompany our, our own lives. It should accompany that which permeates our nation. Sincerity of heart, gratefulness for all that God has done, is doing now, and shall do by such a confidence but it flows from the hearts and through the lips of Americans on a regular basis, just not on a, a single day out of the year or with other occasions. Unfortunately, such has not really been our practice. 
I found a little article I thought a little humorous. This is entitled, Life in Our House. We were very proud of our two-year-old son, who was learning to say please and thank you. After he opened various gifts from friends at Christmas, we asked Zachary, what do you say to Diana and Alejandra? Zachary responded, more please. You know, we kind of take some levity at that, and yet how often do we apply a similar logic to those things? Because we lack the understanding of the true meaning of gratitude in the experience. We graciously receive so much. For you see, gratitude and thanksgiving, it recognizes genuinely the gift and the giver. It's just not merely a word, whether that be human or divine. The principle of giving thanks is not an unfamiliar theme in Scripture. Our responsive reading was filled with a similar principle. Uh, in Scripture, the various words that are often translated or variations for gratitude, there's 157 times. 157 times. For the word thanks and thanksgiving, it ends up being 72 times. And when you hear that, I think it's important to say the thank you doesn't always, doesn't always associate itself with gratitude. Because like that child, a misunderstanding, or like our common ordinary situations of life, we are often just merely saying thank you because it's the expected thing to say. What do you say? You know, thank you. you know, well, what do you say to God? Thank you. you know, we just kind of pour it out because they are just words just words, and there's no meaning from the heart. Other parts of Scripture are filled with similar principles, too, I think, are most powerful out of the New Testament. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything, give thanks. In every circumstance, an attitude that ought to be permeating within our thoughts in those situations, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. People scratch their heads. They said, what is God's will for my life? Well, Paul clearly states one of the attitudes is this vertical relationship that we have with our God. And he says, giving thanks in every circumstance for everything. Kind of a sister verse out of Ephesians 5.20, Paul says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you look at those verses and others, uh, there's a lot in the Psalms um, and in those out of the New Testament, and you have to scratch your head and say, why is it repeated again and again? Because I kind of think there's our very nature that we don't necessarily say thank you with gratitude. It's just not part of us. So as the Lord lays it on, he says, we're going to repeat this again and again and again and again, because I have to remind you again and again and again of this relationship that's been bound with me should bring forth thanks. Thank you, God, for. We can say it again and again without a speck of consideration of the real value of the gift or the giver. Would you say so? just a prayer? Well, we'll thank, and I'm not, this is just what I heard today. 
you know, thanks for the, our offering or whatever. And sometimes we, we say things and there's nothing wrong with what it because we're acknowledging God. But sometimes we say it and we add in a thanks without really understanding the giver and the gift and the circumstances which they are applied. If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. I'll begin reading in verse 11, a familiar passage, I trust. Luke 17, and follow along if you would with your eyes as I start at verse 11. And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village there, he met him Ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show that yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered, said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. May God bless his word. Shall we pray? Father, we offer up this portion of our worship hour with thanks, because your word is available to us, and we can proclaim it without fear of arrest or trials or persecution. We say thanks because you have preserved your word, even for us today, from the pen of Luke uh, through the hands of generations and generations of faithful people who have not only done translating work, but gone into the publishing work and, and allowed us to be recipients of such truth. We say thanks because this word is clear and true and faithful. It grants unto us and access to your will. It helps us to understand our walk, helps us to see uh, as a light unto our path in a very dark place. And so we'd humbly ask, Father, with thanksgiving and gratitude for your kindness that you would lead us through this little passage and the relationship that Jesus portrays in his words and his exchange with these men that we might further understand our gratitude for all that you've done in Christ's name. Amen. It's probably a familiar story, I trust, for most of you. You've heard it at least one time or another. Uh, Jesus is coming from the north. He's coming down uh, towards Jerusalem, it says. He's at the border of Samaria and Galilee. And he's passing by a village, and he encounters these ten lepers on the outskirts. 
they're on the outskirts because they're not allowed into the village. They're not allowed to be mingling with other people. It's not unusual for lepers to gather together with one another. They were outcasts in society. They were only allowed to really be by themselves. In other words, lepers amongst the lepers, so that would not be unusual. It's noteworthy here in this passage that their leprosy was, had broken down other barriers that normally would have been there. Racial barriers and nationality barriers. The Jews despised the Samaritans. They were looked upon as like a half-breed people. Uh, in their Old Testament history, the Samaritans intermingled with the Assyrians that came down, and you say, oh, you're not pure. And uh, therefore, they were despised. The Jews wouldn't even walk through the Sumerian areas. But what they were finding in their relationship is that they were all men in need. Normally, wouldn't hang about with each other, despised each other, but because they had this common need. And you know how true this should be of the church, of the body of Christ. You know, we just look amongst ourselves today, and he says, we're as diverse as, well, not as diverse as we could be. <laughs> we could be as more diverse, but we don't, we don't look upon anything else other than the fact that we are people in need because we are sinners that are only saved by grace through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, therefore, wherever you travel around the world and you'd find places of worship where the scriptures are taught and where Christ is honored, those things are common. So the text says that they stood afar off. They kept a distance. Uh, the law and customs forbid them to be in association, proximity with anybody else for fear of infecting them. You know, uh, They would actually have to go down to a place where there were crowds of other people and call out, unclean! Unclean, in other words, get away from me, stay away. In this society, when a person discovered they had a, a rash or kind of a skin disorder, it was their responsibility to go to the priest, and he would examine them. Uh, I don't know how far that was considered, you know, uh, of, of what was necessary, but the priest would be the only one to determine whether it was a contagious disease or not. And if it was, that which is leprosy, or some other skin disease that there was a concern, he could pronounce them unclean, and they were therefore to stay away. And if they were not, they could give them that clean bill of health in order for them to stay in their own proximities with a family and friends. They lived in times of very harsh difficulties. Actually, today I looked up, there are some 2,000 leper colonies in the world today. A majority of them, I think, I think I read it was something like 400 just in India. Um, leprosy is more common in certain places of the world. When we were in the Philippines, I remember seeing some walking along the roadside, and you could tell their fingers had fallen off and, and other things like that. It's a very harsh-looking disease. Verse 13, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Keeping their distance, but staying together, they offer this prayer, the prayer that was uh, catching his attention. Jesus, have mercy on us. Have pity on us. And then what takes place is, I think, one of the strangest thoughts of all. Verse 14. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that 
as he went, they were cleansed. <laughs> Apparently without having anything to do to heal them. Think of all the other occasions throughout the New Testament and the Gospels of Jesus' relationship you know, with them. There was a touch or there were some questions and, and, and other things like that. But here's a case where he just says to them, go and to, this, to the priest and find yourself uh, a way to be uh, approved properly. Jesus simply gave the instructions to go, and they went. At the moment of Jesus' instructions, the men were still lepers. There was no physical change that had taken place, however it may have been, but in faith they obeyed. There was no small measure of faith either, considering all of the things that people had told them, all the interactions they've had with others for all of their lives since they had this leprosy. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave them no guarantee. Go to the priest and he'll tell you that you're clean. No assurance of healing. Just show yourself to the priest. So as they began to walk away in obedience to Jesus' command, they were healed. So it is in every generation that sinners, defiled by the leprosy of sin, should put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in obedience to his commands. In obedience to that which the gospel offers. That they were able to, as they would believe in faith, heal them from this sin. That they would follow his directions and in time have the fullest assurance of the evidence within their own heart that God has given them a peace in that relationship between God and themselves. And that they knew that their souls can be free from the defilement of sin. Paul says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All too often, leprosy is pointed at and directed as a matter of sin in the person's life. And I think this is a great relationship and understanding. You know, Jesus always required faith when it came time for healing. Other situations, ask many times as people, um, do you believe that I can do this? In other words, do you have faith that I can heal you? A number of those who came up and requested healing. And so here, the greatest requirement of demonstration of faith was that these lepers, he said, to go away, even before they were healed. And the Bible doesn't say, and only scripture text that says, and it came to pass. In other words, there was a period of time when Jesus said, and then they started walking down the road towards the priest, we don't know how far they walked, but they were healed. <laughs> Can you imagine how that felt? Can you imagine the change, uh, the, the skin colors, uh, the, 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 the growths? Um, sometimes it says there is a loss of, of feelings in the hands and the feet and so forth. Uh, other times uh, limbs would, would fall off or ears or whatever, you know, not necessarily sure that those limbs were restored, but it was evidence enough that as they walked, all of a sudden they recognized that there was a change taking place in their life. There were things that God and God only could do. And then all of a sudden to grow with greater anticipation and greater excitement and the joy that they received. That once they got that certification from the priest that you were clean, that they could be restored to their family to be restored to friends, to be restored to society. Some of these people would live their entire life in these uh, leper colonies 
and die there simply because that disease keeps them in such a way. But here's an occasion where all of a sudden they recognize the, the greatness of that which is provided by God and God alone. However, one man, and only one, finds within his heart, out of this group, to return and thank the Lord Jesus Christ. Fifteen, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan walking along with the others as they transgressed this road, and, and all of a sudden he sees his skin changed. All of a sudden he, maybe his hearing is back. All of a sudden he finds strength in his legs or his arms or whatever it was, and he recognizes and he turns around and he goes back with great haste to the Lord Jesus, and it says that he cries with a loud voice unto the Lord, as Tim mentioned earlier in the Sunday school, you know, Dr. Luke was one in, his, in the Gospel of Luke and also in the book of Acts. He, he presents a lot of things with great, teal, great detail, as a, as a medical physician would do. And as he comes along and he presents this, he makes mention of the fact that he was a Samaritan. No other reason for other than the fact that Luke decides that this was an important aspect of it. The unlikely man, the Samaritan. You know, I was thinking he could have waited till he'd gone to the priest for healing and then says, okay, I got to go back to see Jesus again. But he didn't. Immediately as the act was performed, he felt it necessary to return to Jesus and thank him. He saw the results and returned immediately. And he says, with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks. Now, who was with Jesus? Obviously, Luke was probably most of the other apostles. And there were probably other groups that came along and seeing, following Jesus. And here comes this man with a loud voice, and he's gathering this great joy within his heart to express unto Jesus. And everybody hears it. Everybody sees it. They present unto him, and then he says, he falls on his face, and he gives him thanks. He praises Jesus for what has taken place, the healing that was done. He honors Jesus as God, doesn't he? I mean, we should say, well, there should be no, no great joy here, but uh, he recognizes that which most people don't even recognize. He says he glorifies God. That's maybe Luke's interpretation, but by the words that he says, he falls down on his face and gives him thanks, as only God could do. What a joy. His heart explodes of the fact that he recognizes the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do? He says, oh, just stand up. I'm not, I'm not God. You know? No, he accepts it. He receives it because he is, and he recognizes the great joy that has been brought to this man's heart and his life. It was a burden obligation. I think you'd agree these verses 17 and 18 here uh, were a disappointment to Jesus. The things that had taken place in this great time of joy, we see that Jesus was disappointed that the others hadn't returned, hadn't even thought about giving thanks to God. And maybe they were thankful. We're not trying to say anything beyond that. But yes, it was indeed an obedience to Jesus' command to go. 
But shouldn't their hearts have recognized that it was God alone who healed such a wretched disease? How else could it have been done? And should they not have given him the same type of praise, the same type of joy, the same type of thanks? So what does God desire of us? What is his desire as he looks to us in our day? If we are nothing, lepers were nothing. If we have nothing, they had nothing. If we, everything that ever we have, put aside as nothing whatsoever except for the Lord, whatever we receive and whatever happens, does that not deserve the praise of God? Logic says it. There's times and principles of thanksgiving that we all of a sudden disassociate God or the source of the gifts that we have, and we place it on ourselves because I've earned it. I've been able to do this. I've accomplished this. I've gone to this. I've reached so far. Therefore, acknowledging somebody else or acknowledging God even in these situations is minuscule. Thank you, Lord. You know, but really, I've been the one to do it. The old Frank Sinatra, I've done it my way, you know. Remember Paul's admonition. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now that's a verse that all too often we talk about, but how can I be thankful for this? Or how can I be thankful for that? Matthew Henry, famous Bible commentator in the early 18th century, was robbed of his wallet one day. And he wrote in his diary the next night about the things that he was thankful about. He says, first, that he had never been robbed before. Okay. Secondly, that though he had taken his wallet, they did not take his life. Thirdly, because even though they took it all, it really wasn't very much. Fourthly, because he was one who was robbed and not one who did the robbing. Maybe that's forcing the point, you know, but it's not. When I place myself, as this one Samaritan did, in a position to say, I deserve nothing, I have nothing, there's nothing in me that I have, and everything that I've been given is sourced in God, then I have to recognize with gratitude the principle of thanksgiving. And my heart ought to pour out. And yes, I was robbed. Or yes, I've been sick. Or yes, I lost this. Or yes, this was taken from me. Or, or whatever injustice I can find some complaint about in life. I have to come back and say, yes, but if there's a sovereign God over all things, then indeed his hand has been in it and he has permitted it. You know, uh, fire out in western Pennsylvania when we lived out there. And uh, Amish family lost their... Uh, two or three children in there, they lost their barn, they lost everything. It was tragic. But Romans 8.28 all of a sudden gets thrown out in public, you know, and in the next week after they had the service, they had filled, I've seen Mennonites, Amish, I'm not just sure what group it was, all of a sudden the house is rebuilt and the barn's rebuilt within a period of time. You know. All of a sudden, it was a loss, and yet God did this, permitted it, allowed it, in order for him to be glorified. When we recognize what I have is by his permissive will, then I need to be thankful, because he knows best what's in me. And he doesn't say just 
cast it away and they say, okay, let's see what comes up today. You know, I hope it's going to be a good day. Every situation, everything that we have, all of those things are provided by him for his glory. There's one more verse in this section, verse 19. And he said unto him, Arise and go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Jesus' final words to this grateful Samaritan say that the man not only received a physical healing, which all of the other nine did, but it's an indication there was also a spiritual healing, which it could very well be that the other nine had missed out. After the man was already healed of leprosy, Jesus said, Arise and go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. It could be that his return to Jesus and his fall upon his face before Jesus and confessing those things, Jesus recognized, this is what I desired of all. This is the things that I have provided for all, for what I have given you. When we take time to acknowledge the giver and not just the gifts, when we take time to acknowledge, to be grateful for the giver and not just the gifts, and obviously we are people who are who are sight-bound. I see these things. They're tangible things. These are tangible gifts. These are good things. I can thank him for that. But I think of the giver and why the giver gave such, and why at this time, and why these things, I can still thank him, even though it becomes a mystery. You know? I picked up a little booklet at a church the other day, and it was, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And just thumbing through it, in essence, not that they were something startling to me, but all of a sudden it was just the idea that he says, God knows why. God does allow these things. God permits it in order for him to be honored and glorified in order for us to recognize how he is. If it pleased the Lord to enjoy spiritual blessings to us and healing, then comes our gratefulness. And until the time we see that, that whatever he gives, until the time we recognize that we are grateful as we give thanks, then we're not going to enjoy the blessings from his hand. We're not going to enjoy the blessings of the things that are provided for us on a regular basis. I'm, I'm beaten down, you know, just with the, 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 the time, the, the war that's going on there in Israel and, and the Palestinians. And I grieve for both of them. It's disastrous to see you know, bombings, and then you go back to this side and, and, and surprise attacks, and you, all of this back and forth in their lives. Of course they are terrible. And for us, you know, how we recognize the blessings that we have here in this land. Charles Dickens, we are familiar with, apparently made two visits to the United States um, a couple years apart. And he was somewhat mixed up with Americans, he told an audience, instead of having one Thanksgiving day a year, you ought to have 364 Thanksgiving days of the year. He says, use that one day just for complaining and griping, and use the other 364 days to thank God each day for the many blessings that he has showered upon you. You know, we complain, we filter through our day with our grievances and our gripes and our grumblings. Um, the children of Israel, uh, hand of God taking them out of the bondage of Egypt 430 years, on through the Dead Sea, on into the Promised Land, 
and, and, and they were filled with nothing but grumbling, complaining, day after day. God says, I'll provide for you. I'll meet your needs. You need water, I'll give you water. You want quail, I'll give you quail. You get manna, just take what you need for that day and it's enough. And what did they do? Oh, we just want to go back to Egypt, you know, and go on and on and on and on. They couldn't recognize the daily provision that God has provided. Recognize that God has given us so much. As you meet together next Lord's Day and it comes time for testimonies, you know, you don't have to search your soul for this. Um, we used to do this at our house, and we'd get around, because we had the biggest dining room, and Mom always loved to have everybody at the house, and we had this long dining room table, and all of the relatives would come, her brother and sister and their families, and that we'd all say, and then at the end we'd say, let's just say something we're thankful for, you know. And it was always the same thing. Well, I'm thankful for my children, or I'm thankful for my health, you know, and just the same things like that. They're, they couldn't grasp the depths. And for me, at an immature age, I couldn't grasp what else, you know, I should be thankful for. But as the, I grow older, and as I understand the various levels of life, search our hearts and say, God, thank you for all of these things. Thank you for the treasures of isolation. Thank you for the joy that I have in Christ Thank you for our scriptures. Thank you for the blessings that we have of fellowship in Christ and the blessings of the proclamation of the word of our country, of those who do know you as Savior, of those who are leading this area of our lives. Let's pray. Father, as we pause in our service, we wish to thank you for allowing us to just step briefly into this topic of giving thanks. And we recognize that all too often the words just come off our lips because it's a word that we've been taught to use. It's a word that we've become accustomed to, a word that is fitting and appropriate, yet it doesn't come from our hearts always because we don't know the depths of the treasure of that which is our gift, nor do we recognize always the source of the giver. We are sinners. And we receive nothing but your judgment and your wrath, and yet you have sent your son to take that judgment that we deserve and allow us to be called the children of God. We are adopted into your family, a family that there was no price to be paid save the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. We have such an inheritance, not only here on this earth, but that which is the down payment and the Holy Spirit, which will take us from this earth on into glory someday. We have the promise of those mansions in glory, a place where we can gather together one day with all who have gone on before to meet our sweet Jesus face to face, to hear the words of all those others and their testimonies. And yet, Lord, we don't necessarily see, as we say thanks, the gratitude from our hearts to you. Forgive us. Help us, Father, to grow in that understanding. Help us, especially as we enter into these weeks around our nation's Thanksgiving, even as uh, President Washington had said, it is a time for prayer, a time for thanks to be lifted up for the tremendous blessings and to implore you for your peace and your protection to be upon us and only come from you. Thank you again for what you've done. In Christ's name, amen.